Tell me something. Why is it that when someone tells us that there's trillions of stars in the universe, we tend to believe them, but when they tell us that the paint on the wall isn't dry, we feel the need to verify it for ourselves? In a presentation on evangelism, a gentleman got up and said, you know, the person who talks the most does not control a conversation. The person who asks questions controls the conversation. He directs the conversation wherever he wants it to go through his questions. Because we feel an obligation to answer questions. You know, with all of the campaign election season that we're in, this is a very true uh, a truism of politics. Most seasoned political operatives will tell you that by the time you're answering questions, you've already won or lost the battle. Because the battle is around the framing of the questions themselves. Debates are less about answers and more about make, getting asked the right questions or getting asked uh, difficult questions in certain ways. Now, we're all theologians. Didn't you know that? You don't need to take a theology class at a seminary to be a theologian. We all have beliefs about God. Even people who claim not to believe in God have a theology. Their theology is they don't believe there is a God. That's theology. So whether you like that terminology or not, the fact stands. We're all theologians. Everyone has a system of beliefs and thoughts that we hold regarding God and God's interaction with our lives. Now, I expect my systematic theology professor to bust in the door any minute to tackle me and take issue with what I'm saying because it's far more complicated than that, but that's okay. For our purposes today, that definition will do. Theology is a system of beliefs and thoughts that one holds regarding God and God's interaction with our lives. Now, perhaps some people might say that my theology is ridiculous. Perhaps my theology is grounded in something reckless or beyond belief. But regardless, after much study and prayer and discussion with other Christians, I have formed a system of beliefs that I stand on. And I'd like to think it's an informed theology. I've done a lot of theological training. I've read a lot. I've, uh, in, in the pastorate, I, I've had mentors, seasoned mentors. But my theology is not above questioning. And the same is true for you. The same is true for every Christian. We all form a theology, but our theology is not above questioning. I covered this in some detail a few weeks ago when we discussed diversity of thought and theology. But that message was centered on the beauty and the acceptance we should have for diverse, even opposing viewpoints and how community is imperative to a church. Today I want to spend some time discussing our internal processing. I want to discuss the many questions that arise, or that at least should arise, within us as we walk with God. Because, in fact, it's by asking questions that we actually form theology in the first place. You know, when I was a child, I'm sure I drove my Sunday school teachers crazy with all kinds of strange questions about God and Jesus and Bible stories. Some of the answers that I received were challenging, shaped who I am, and some of the answers were shallow, 
and unfortunately shaped who I am. And as I've continued to ask questions, my childhood theology has shifted and I can now better articulate my system of beliefs and and my thoughts, my my theology. (coughs) Excuse me. But despite growing up as the the son of missionaries and, and the son of a pastor, despite a graduate degree in theology and despite more than a decade spent in the pastorate, I still have a long, long way to go. I have a long way to go both in the formation of my theology and in articulating that theology. I can't tell you how many times I will read a line or hear uh, another pastor or a theologian or someone, a Christian spiritual leader, say something and go, that's it. That's what I've been, I've believed that for years, but I just couldn't figure out how to put it into words. Thank you. That happens all the time. Hopefully, we all ask questions of God and and, and of the mysteries of the Christian faith. Questions help us think through some of the answers that we've been given all of our lives. Questions help us examine our beliefs, and they help us examine ourselves. Questions are good because we have a tendency to love answers. We all want answers to our questions. We are uncomfortable with uncertainty. We get antsy when questions are left unanswered. But our desire for answers often leads us to something less than the whole truth and the whole character and community of our God. It is a truism of Christendom that questions are better than answers. So many churches in an effort to appease people and make people comfortable when they come with questions, settle for half-truth answers, pat answers. They believe that their quick answers will end questioning. And the problem is that those questions, those answers to those questions are often not good enough for many people. They may not even address specific questions and they do more harm than good. It has been my experience that questions actually most often lead to more questions. Or they lead to a reframing of the original question. Either way, by asking questions about even the most basic tenets of our faith, we are all better off for it. What we have to learn to do, as we'll come to see, is be okay with the question. I think Jesus knew the importance of asking questions. In fact, I know this because Jesus constantly asked questions. In the Gospel of Luke, he is recorded to have asked 89 questions. In Matthew, he asks 85, and in Mark, he asks 47. When reading through the Synoptic Gospels, you encounter question after question, all posed by Jesus. And many of these questions were actually things he was saying in response to a question he received. Have you ever noticed that? How often Jesus answers a question with a question? As you read through Mark, for example, you'll encounter only a few occasions where Jesus did not answer the most challenging questions of his rivals or of his disciples with a question. Often, he wouldn't even answer their questions at all. He would just leave them with their questions, seemingly content that they were asking them. And he rarely ever explained his parables to the crowds. Pastor and offer 
Stephen Jones writes, Jesus shaped a questioning community where his closest disciples felt very comfortable asking him questions and receiving his questions. And this is the role of theology. Theology is a mystery and it should be. The mystery is the gift. Colossians chapter 2 verse 3 as all the richest treasures of wisdom and knowledge are embedded in that mystery and nowhere else. And we have been shown the mystery. We have been given a mystery, not easy answers. So again, in keeping with our sermon series of setting the table and laying expectations, let's take a moment and set some expectations. Let's commit right here, right now, to not take the easy path. To not whittle Christianity down to a top ten list. To not say, here's three strategies for growing the church. It's not that simple. This should be an easy one for all of us to get on board with because Scripture is pretty clear about taking the hard path. So let's make sure that we don't settle for easy answers. Now, there are some easy answers. I will grant you some, some questions have very simple answers. But when we talk about the Bible, that's the exception to the rule. The world is far too complicated that. The gospel of an incarnate God, which by itself defies all of the laws of nature, is far too complicated for us to settle for easy pat answers. So let's not not settle for explaining away the mysteries of the faith or of the Bible. This is particularly true for children and youth. And side note, it's always been my experience that kids and teenagers are much more accepting of complicated answers than we give them credit for. Trying to simplify things often gets us into trouble. And we often end up distorting the message. Because... There are three words in the English language that I believe that are among the most powerful. And they are, I don't know. When we don't have answers, let's use those three powerful words and let's just say, I don't know. Admitting that we don't know the answer or the explanation to something that we still somehow understand to be true can actually be a very powerful message. How was Jesus fully God and fully human? I don't know. But the fact that he was is the very basis of my faith. And both those things can be true. I know it to be true, but how can it be true? I don't know. We should always be cautious of easy answers to tough questions. We should seek deeper understandings of what we think as individuals and as a community. And most importantly, we should never be afraid to ask why. As we settle for answers, we stop growing. Our relationship with God becomes stale. Our worship becomes predictable and routine. The fellowship in our community, it withers away. It is imperative that we constantly be asking questions. Anybody watching this with kids knows exactly the analogy I'm going to make. Because kids reach a certain age, and man, the questions just don't stop. 
Why is the sky blue? Well, because light refracts off of dust in our atmosphere. Why? Why what? Why dust? Well, dust, uh, sometimes you can't see it and it's up in the air and it floats around. Why? Well, because it's so small. How small? You can go on for hours. Kids just want to know it all. And we should be the same. We are the children of God. I can't imagine what my relationship with my wife would be like if after you know, several months of dating or even after the first couple of years of marriage, we stopped asking each other questions about one another. Having been together for more than 13 years, I still learn new things about Kate by asking questions. By asking why to even the most significant or even the most given or understood uh, elements of scripture or tradition or experience or logic, by asking why to those fundamental things, we stretch and we grow. We can either learn something new about our theology or affirm something old about our beliefs. Later, Jones, who I quoted earlier, says this. He says, we will find that God is not only in the answers, but also in the questions. So, I want to take you through here because I know that for many of you, this sermon, this message, won't be anything new. For many of you, you'll be going, yeah, this is great. Yeah, I knew this. But there's going to be many of you right now who are going, you know, I'm not sure that everything you're saying here is true. I'm not sure that there's evidence for this. Answers are just as important as questions. You might be saying, I value the questions, but the answers matter just as much. So let's take a minute here. And I want to flip through the Bible to make my case. So to show just how imperative it is that we be constantly asking God questions and that he values the questions often more than the answer. So get ready to flip through your Bible. If you've got it with you there, uh, we're going to do something. I grew up in the 90s in evangelical circles. So I can do a sword drill like nobody's business. If you don't know what a sword drill is, you grew up in the wrong era. Uh, sword drills are where someone just shouts a verse and you first person to find it in their Bible and hold it up wins. Um, and I was the king of sword drills. And I'm going to be the king of them today because I'm actually going to cheat. And I've got these written down. I don't have to find them. So if you don't want to follow along at home, that's fine. Uh, you're just going to have to trust that I'm reading them correctly. Okay? Let's start in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Let us reason together. Again, this seems to be a God who wants to be engaged in a relationship, a nurturing father. So we start there. God says to his people, let us reason together. He says, go ahead and ask your questions because questions bring freedom. When you're willing to ask questions, it means you're willing to admit that you don't have all the answers. And that is a truly liberating revelation. Many of us think that God needs us to have everything figured out so that we can be effective witnesses. The truth is that if you have God completely figured out, you're not dealing with God. You're dealing with an idol you have created. We cannot fathom our God. So if you've got him figured out, I'm here to tell you, you're not worshiping God. Now, we all do this to a certain extent, so don't feel bad. We all make up our image of God, and that's what needs refining. But our God loves mystery. Deuteronomy 29, 29. 
The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. God reveals things to us, many things even, by his Spirit. But he does not reveal everything to us. That's what Deuteronomy tells us. First he says, let's reason. Then he says, but I'm not going to reveal everything to you. He goes further in Matthew. Matthew chapter 24, verses 35 and 36, tell us that not even Jesus was told everything. Matthew 24, 35 to 36. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows the hour or day, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. If you think you've got this all figured out, you are now placing yourself on a pedestal above Jesus who readily admits there are things that he didn't know. The Apostle Paul expressed it like this in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Now we see but a poor reflection in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now, last week we discussed proof texting. And the most common objection to all of this that I've just raised is this. People say, doesn't the Bible say we are supposed to have an answer for everything in 1 Peter 3.15. This one gets quoted all the time. What does 1 Peter 3.15 look? Uh, 3.15 say, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. And so people come back and say, well, 1 Peter 3.15 says that we have to be able to write an answer to people who have questions for us. But read it again, because that's not what it says. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Be prepared to give an answer to people who ask you, What gives you this hope? On that front, I think we can all agree, Yeah, we've got an answer. Let me tell you about it. It specifically says that we should have an answer to one thing. The hope that we have. Not every single issue on the planet. So go ahead and ask your questions because questions are actually the basis of our faith. More specifically, bombarding God with questions is central to our faith. The Bible is mostly a book of people asking God questions and then either ignoring them, either ignoring or, or misunderstanding the answers or response that they get back. All throughout the Bible, we see people pestering God with questions. Genesis 18, 25 to 26. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. It's a dialogue. God has asked questions and he responds. Exodus chapter 4, uh, we're going to jump around in that chapter, but Exodus chapter 4, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. Moses said to the Lord, O oh Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. 
The Lord said to him, Who gave this man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, O Lord, please send someone else to do it. So now, after Genesis, we get to Exodus, and we see that not only is God being pestered with Moses' questions, he asks Moses questions right back. He answers his question with questions. The Psalms are riddled with pleas, questions that that people have. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts every day? And have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. The Psalms not only are riddled with questions, they come with demands to look at me and answer me. People have been valuing answers over questions since the beginning of time. Jesus himself repeatedly asked questions of the Father. Most famously, probably during his crucifixion in Matthew 27. When we read that in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus himself asks God questions. And then here's one that's really interesting. The book of Revelation actually tells us that this trend of peppering God with questions is not limited to earth. Even in heaven, this continues. Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain from the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth? Now, two things to note about all of the above examples. Notice that none of the questioners were arrogant or rebellious or disrespectful. Questioning God involves a naked vulnerability, a true desire to know truth. This isn't insolence. It's humility and asking, God, just answer my questions. I have so many questions. The other thing to note is that God actually gives us spiritual authority to help equip us. He sent his spirit. I'm almost done with the flipping through the Bible, and I'm not trying to impress you here. I'm just, I want to be clear about this biblical trend, that it's so clear through all of Scripture. This exercise might seem tedious, and I guess I could have just come out and said all of this, But sometimes seeing implicit arguments that the Bible makes for something throughout is worth some extra effort because this is one of those ones that's never spelled out in Scripture. It's just exemplified for us through all of Scripture. I can be faulted for being dry or boring, but I hope I won't be faulted with this message for not rooting it in Scripture. So go ahead and ask your questions because questions ultimately lead to more questions. Matthew chapter 7. Verses 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks the door will be opened. If you study the Bible, 
and you don't come away with a, a sense of wonder and awe, then you've really not studied the Bible. Albert Einstein was famous for saying, the important thing is to not stop questioning. Because the larger the island of knowledge, the longer the shoreline of mystery. So I want to close by confessing two questions that I have. These aren't deep theological insights, they're just ones that I work through. If we had to pick the most famous verse in the Bible, most of us would probably quote John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But one of my questions about this that is never adequately answered so far for me is why? Why does God love the world? We are terrible. Yes, he created the world. But I've created many things that I've not loved. We all have. So why does God love the world? I, I don't know. And then 1 John 4, uh, verses 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So my questions here are, if God is love, and does that mean every love experience is of God? And if everyone who loves is born of God, what does that mean? Because we all love, do we just not understand the true meaning of love? If so, what's the true meaning of love? Questions lead to questions. I don't know yet the adequate answers to those uh, to, to my questions for those two passages. <clears throat> and most of the time that I spend researching and contemplating them and discussing them and reading about them, usually I get more questions, and that's okay. Because it's the journey that matters. As a church, individually and corporately, we have to learn to be okay with each other's questions. We have to be okay with everyone's questions. And we definitely have to be okay that when we ask God a question, he often will respond with a question. May the Holy Spirit continue to guide us into the mystery that is God, inspiring our teachings and beliefs and definitions to remain authentic in the pathways into his, ministry, his mystery. Let's pray. Creator God, your Son, Jesus Christ, revealed your divine sovereignty over nature when he walked on water and calmed the windstorm. Grant us open minds and hearts so that we may recognize and rejoice in your presence. As we work out the inner and outer workings of our faith and our own theology, we are so thankful for your patience and grace. Give us insatiable appetites for, of curiosity for you and your word. And when we face question after question that lead only to further questions, may we truly understand the blessing we have received from you. Amen. And so now, learn from Christ. Trust him. Delight in him. Give your whole daily affairs to him, and you will never walk alone or serve without the eternal joy that cannot be taken from you. Let the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge of God and of the, his true Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. May the questions which are answered with questions be a guidepost for you as you seek to navigate this world. And may the blessings of the fullness of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you today and evermore. Amen.